preaching for us. I'm excited for him to be able to share next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, we had started a series back in the summertime on the parables of Jesus. And so we're going to revisit the parables of Jesus um, in the end of Matthew's gospel where he talks a lot about uh, the parables where uh, he's talking about the end of the age and explaining some of what he means there. So that's where we're going to land through January and, uh, and February. Today, um, I'm, there, was a, there was a text in our Ecclesiastes series that we did this past fall that when I came to it, I thought, you know, that might make for a good New Year's Eve message. So I held off, and so we're, we're taking a look at that today, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Um, there's a particular line that's actually the title for the sermon today, which is two or better than one. There's a particular line in Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 9, I believe it is, where he says two are better than one. That's, just, that's a basic truth of life, right? It's a biblical premise that uh, two are better than one. He goes on to say three are better than two. He's just making the case for human relationships, meaningful relationships in life and how we all need them. And so what we're going to run into today is Solomon telling us or sharing with us why two are better than one. He's going to explain that to us, and so we'll walk through that together. Um, as I was preparing for today, a, a text, I'm sorry, a song came to mind. I'm not going to sing it. I sang last week, I'm not singing this week. Um, a song came to mind from, a, from back in the 60s, before I was born, by the way. Um, and there was a group called Three Dog Night. Anybody ever heard of Three Dog Night? Anyway, they sang a song called One. And then I'll just give you a couple of lines from the song. It says, one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Two can be as bad as one. Uh, it's the loneliest number since the number one. And then he goes on to say, one is the loneliest, one is the loneliest. Um, and that repeats that line over and over again. But again, this was an era in American culture when things were on fire in the 60s. I believe that song came out in 68. And uh, the Vietnam War was going on, protests were happening, uh, soldiers were dying overseas, you had the civil rights movement that was happening. And so there was just lots of turmoil within culture, and so that left people feeling isolated. It left people feeling alone, even in the midst of crowds. Um, and so that's kind of where we want to go today, because you can be, you can, there's a difference between lonesomeness and loneliness. Lonesomeness is, you know, I miss my college buddies. Lonesomeness is I miss my family and I'm away from home, but I know I'm going to see them again in a couple of days. Or I know I'm going to see them again in a month or so. That's the feeling of lonesomeness. But loneliness, you can be in a crowd of people. You can be on a college campus. You can be part of a work environment where you're seeing and interacting with people every day. You can be part of a family unit and still feel unseen, still feel invisible, still feel lonely. And so Solomon is going to speak to us about that subject today, uh, the value of human relationships, and then looking at it from both sides, the lonely side, as well as what um, human relationships, the meaningful human relationships do for us. Our text comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Here we go. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Verse 12, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, we're going <clears> to <throat> come back to those verses in just a little bit. I want to build a little context, and I also want to take a look at the, where Solomon starts this whole uh, line of thinking about human relationships and the value of relationships. 
back in verse 1. So let's take a look at those. It's verses 1 through 8. Um, he says the first, he basically gives us three causes of loneliness. Verse 1. The first is oppression. We might refer to that as trying to control other people. Verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. So Solomon sees oppressed people. He sees people who are being controlled by others in the midst of his own society. And Solomon's kind, and he says that they had no one to comfort them. Um, in other words, they felt very much alone. There were people around them, but yet they had these feelings of being alone. In Solomon's context, the oppressed are the workers of society, the people who keep the wheels of society moving. He goes on to state why this group is oppressed into verse 1, because their situation is that the oppressors, those that are keeping them feeling lonely, those that are keeping them feeling um, controlled, are, have the power. He says they have, there was power on the side of the oppressors. Well, that makes sense because without power, somebody who is uh, an oppressor, I mean, they can't maintain the status quo, and so they need that power, whether it's the IRS, right, or whether it's uh, you know, military power, or whatever it may be, to try and manipulate and maintain control, maintain the status quo. Solomon is noting here that there is a tyranny that exists in his culture. And that tyranny comes through kings, it comes through judges, it comes through people in positions of authority, perhaps bosses, or as we see unfolding in America, I don't want to be political here, but the deep state in America. When you have something like that in place, this creates a tyranny in culture. Elites trying to control the rest of the population. Elites trying to make sure that the status quo is maintained. And the result is an oppressed class. It's the old golden rule that one who has the gold rules. Right? I thought that's pretty funny. Um, so in other words, the one with the power, money is not always what rules the day, but lots of times it does, but also the one with power is the one who's ruling. So back in Solomon's day, he'd collect taxes. Back in Solomon's day, he'd collect money. Back in Solomon's day, he'd collect up all the power, assemble all that stuff into himself. So these were the powerful elite who oppressed the masses of people. Notice also that Solomon sees tears on the faces of the oppressed, and he notes that, he has, that they had no one to comfort them. That is, the oppressor, the elites, will not stoop down to wipe the tears of those that they are controlling. When you see a person with power who seeks to control other people, rather than draw near to that person, rather than try and comfort that person in their distress, they put distance between themselves. There's a coldness that exists in the relationship, and that's a very necessary thing because it's difficult to control somebody that you're friends with. And so they want to maintain a distance of relationship between the elites and those that they are in control of so that they can maintain that status quo. Now, as I'm reading through these verses, I'm remembering to myself, hey, you know what, Solomon? Aren't you the king? <laughs> Aren't you describing your own people here? I mean, Solomon is describing a situation, a phenomena that exists in his own culture, and he's the cause of it. He's the reason why people are feeling alone. He's the reason why people are feeling powerless. He's the reason why people are feeling a loss of control. It doesn't have to be this way, but it is this way. Because Solomon is observing this phenomena in his own people. And we learn elsewhere in Scripture that the method that he actually used to oppress people, uh, actually to fund all of his fun, was over taxation. Like he was killing his people with burdensome taxes. So Solomon is acknowledging that his own policies and his own leadership had given birth to masses of people feeling lonely, isolated, and powerless. 
Um, I've got a quote here by a guy named Albert Speer. Albert Speer was a close uh, confidant, I guess you can say, of Adolf Hitler. He was also the Department of uh, Minister of the Department of Armament uh, in Germany during World, World War II. Here's what he says about Hitler. He said, Hitler wallowed in his own charisma, but he could not respond to friendship. In fact, he repelled it. At the core of the place where Hitler's heart should have been, it was empty. Hitler was a hollow man. We were simply projections of his gigantic ego, end of quote. In other words, Hitler was friends with no one. Loneliness was the price that Hitler paid, among other things, for being the kind of leader who controlled the population. You know, you can be in a relationship that is as intimate as marriage, but if one of the marriage partners is controlling in their relationship, it certainly will reduce intimacy in that relationship. Again, where there is control or oppression, it may be a mother or father toward their children, it can be a spouse, a husband and wife toward one another, where there is control or oppression in a relationship, the result is loneliness. Number two, a second cause of loneliness is envy. Look at verse four. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. Here Solomon identifies envy as a chief cause of loneliness. Envy can simply be defined as, I've got a slide for you here, wanting what someone else has. But then you have to couple that with feelings of resentment. It's not just that I want what they got. It's that I, I, I resent the fact that they have what I don't have. That's envy. Now, you can envy people and resent people for all kinds of different things. You can envy the fact that somebody has certain possessions that you don't have. Perhaps they drive a really nice car. I mean, that's an obvious example, right? You see somebody riding down the road. They got a really nice car. You wish you had that car. You don't have that car. You resent the fact that they have it. You don't, right? <clears throat> Call that communism. We can envy people for their possessions. I'm getting political today. Sorry, that's the last I'm going to do with that. <laughs> i to be careful. We can envy people for their position. We can envy people for their charisma. We can envy people for their athletic ability. We can envy people because they have a great sense of humor. They tell great jokes. I know I called you all to stumble on that issue a lot. <laughs> we can even envy people because they make friends really easily. Solomon is saying here in verse 4 that that intense envy, wanting what someone else has, that, that those emotions can drive a person to extreme levels of toil and work. That's what he's talking about here. They're, they're, and he goes on to say in verse 4, I'm sorry, in verse 6, that better is a handful of quietness. The person who's just sitting down with their hands still, better is a handful of quietness than two hands that are just constantly working, that are constantly uh, trying to strive after stuff. The friends, the drive to acquire can be a very lonely road. Number three. A third cause of loneliness is greed. Whereas envy wants what it doesn't have, greed now has it and picks up where envy leaves off. Now that I've got the stuff, now that I've got the position, now that I've got the status, I have to have some way to preserve it. Look at verse 7. He says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. And then he describes it, verse 8, example of greed. One person who has no other, either son or brother, Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied. Solomon is perplexed by this. How is it that the guy who has all the stuff puts himself on an island and isolates himself from the rest of the world? I mean, the whole point of having the stuff to enjoy it is that you bring other people in and share what you have with them. Solomon observes, um, goes on to say in verse 8, that the greedy person never asks 
for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? Like, what's the point of all this work and acquiring all this stuff if I never enjoy it, if I never invite other people in to enjoy it with me? It's like the more these people get and the bigger the island grows, the more they push the world out. I think of Ebenezer Scrooge, right? We just came off of Christmas. I think of Ebenezer Scrooge in the Christmas story when I think about, reflect on this text. He doesn't have anybody in his life. He lives in solitude. He doesn't want to share his assets with anyone. He basically just hoards over all of his stuff, amassing money, but has no one to share it with. It's almost as though rather than having a meaningful relationship with people, Scrooge tries to have a meaningful relationship with his stuff. And you've seen this before. People, I mean, I've, I've literally watched people when it was time to clean out some stuff or when it was time to sell some stuff, they just start sweating, like beads of sweat popping up on their forehead because it's so difficult because I've got a relationship with that stuff. I've tried to have a relationship with that stuff. And so it can become that way. So in other words, they're substituting stuff. They're substituting piles of money for relationships. Some of those, uh, so some of those are the causes of loneliness. Number one, oppression. Both the oppressed and the oppressor find themselves alone. Control will do that. Number two, envy. Resenting someone for what they have, wishing it was yours, that generates loneliness. And finally, number three, greed or prioritizing stuff over people that will always leave you feeling alone. When we arrive at verse 9, Solomon's on the upswing. He's really good at being in the negatives, right? We learned that back when we were going through Solomon. But here he's on the upswing. He starts seeing life a little bit more clearly. He writes in verse 9 with this biblical truth, two are better than one. Now we know from the book of Genesis that this is one of the first things that God said, God said it's not good that man should be alone, right? He created man, he looked at man, he said, hey, look, this is not good that he's alone by himself. God, had cre- what's interesting too is that this is the first time in the creation story where God says something's not good, right? He starts by creating different things and he says, you know, hey, that's good. And he creates something else, he says, that's good. Something else, that's good. And on and on down the road. And then finally he comes to creating man and he says, you know what, it's, this is not good that man is alone. And so he brings in um, Eve. Until he made man, he had never not said that something was not good. Now, if you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard these verses that we read here a moment ago, read at a wedding. However, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, do not specifically refer to marriage. Instead, they're talking about friendships in general. So let's take a look. Solomon offers three motivations for ditching the lonely road and coming on board in meaningful human relationships. Number one, the first uh, motivation for entering into meaningful human relationships is the benefit of mutual encouragement. Mutual encouragement. I'll give you three mutuals today, okay? Um, I'm on my point, my point, my point today. Uh, The benefit of mutual encouragement. Take a look at verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Now, this fall could refer to a literal fall. It could refer to somebody who just, like, walking down the road, fall flat on their face, and you're glad when that happens. Somebody comes along, like, hey, man, are you okay? Can we help, help you get going again? Um, perhaps you remember, this has been some years ago, there was one of these Life Alert commercials. Uh, I don't know if it was Life Alert back then, but anyhow, that's kind of what comes to mind. And it was one of these Life Alert commercials where there was an elderly person, and they had fallen down, and they maybe push a button, and they're able to talk to a monitor or something like that, and they say, help! 
I've, okay, you've seen the commercial too. All right, stuck in your brain like it did in mine. Um, when we first moved here to this area, we were living in Monroe, and uh, we had moved into our house. We hadn't been there about a week, and the girls came walking into the house, and they said, Dad, Dad, something's wrong next door. There's somebody yelling, calling for help across the street. And so I walked out front. I hadn't met the neighbor yet. I walked out front, and uh, sure enough, standing on the front stoop, I can across the street. We're living in town. I hear across the street the word help, help, coming from the, from the front porch next door, screened in front porch. And so I walked over there, not really sure what I was walking into. And uh, I get over there, and I'm looking around, and I'm not seeing anybody. And I'm like, well, who was it that was calling out for help? And then all of a sudden, I hear, help, help. And I look, and the guy's got a parrot <laughs> on the front porch. Come to find out, my neighbor had a 70-some-odd-year-old parrot. You know, they lived that old, but yeah, this one did. And he had inherited it from the guy who had had it before, who had passed on. But this, he, I guess the guy who had had it before taught the parrot to say, help. So I was a little off that day. <clears throat> so, hey, look, if one falls, there's no one to help him up, he says. Now, that can, be, that can also be a metaphorical uh, concept there. You can fall flat on your face in business. You can fall flat in a health crisis and need some folks to come alongside of you and help you to recover. You can discover this. Uh, you can discover in sometimes that there's great value in a church family to sustain you and help you in times of need. You can fall into a trap that's laid by Satan. And having brothers and sisters in Christ around you, around you to help restore you, there's great value in that. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul writes of this. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. One person noted, here's a little quote here, I don't know who, who said this, but this is just a quote I had. You can always tell a real friend by the fact that when you've made a fool of yourself, they don't make you feel like you've done a permanent job. <laughs> I like that. Now there's a second benefit to friendships, and that can be described as mutual support. It's a mutual encouragement, a mutual support. Solomon writes verse 11, Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Remember, this is Solomon writing from right a little after about 960 uh, or so B.C., so a, long, a lot of years ago. Back when that, back in those days, they didn't have uh, goose-down comforters, and they didn't have HVAC, system, HVAC systems and forced air. So the way you kept warm on a cold night was you snuggled. Right? You got, you got body heat. That was the way you kept warm. I mean, ask a guy who's ever spent some time in a foxhole before. How'd you keep warm on those cold nights? Well, me and my foxhole buddy huddled up together. That's how you kept warm. Um, and you can take this principle into marriage. I mean, when you're upset with one another, do you snuggle? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of... I mean, no, you're on opposite sides of the bed, right? I mean, it's hard to snuggle with a bobcat. It is... It is this concept, though, of mutual support in a marriage that God intended when he said it's not good that man would be alone. Remember also what he said after that, therefore I will make a helper fit for him or comparable to him. Now, ladies, please don't hear, because this is definitely a reference to uh, Eve, and he's calling Eve a helper. Please don't hear when God calls ladies a helper. Don't be mad at God because of that, okay? Hang on to that. You know, that's all I am to him. I'm just a helper. Go get me this. Go take care of that. Can you handle this? That's, I, I, I take you as my lawfully wedded helper. Right, that's, that's, that's not what God has in mind here. The concept of helper is that of a soulmate or a companion. In fact, before we get incensed at that word, know that God uses the word helper of himself in his relationship with you and I. He says in the Psalms, God is a very present help 
in times of need. Same Hebrew word that's used there. Finally, number three, Solomon sees a third benefit for meaningful relationships, and that is mutual protection, mutual protection. Verse 12, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. In ancient times, people didn't want to travel alone. If you were traveling alone, you were basically making yourself susceptible to some sort of attack or some sort of a a robbery to take place. Remember the parable of the man who was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho? And he was traveling on that road, and he was all by himself. And in Jesus' parable, the man gets attacked, and he's left for dead on the side of the road. Uh, people knew that. that you, you don't travel by yourself back in those days. And that's why travelers wanted friends to go with them, because if they were attacked, then they could have somebody else that could watch their back and help fend off any would-be attackers. Well, in life, we have a shared enemy. His name is the devil. And he is unrelenting. The Bible says he prowls around like a roaring lion. And that's why we need companions, that's why we need friends, that's why we need Christian brothers and sisters to help cover our weak spots and watch our back for us. Now Solomon offers one final reminder of the benefits of having true friends. He writes, end of verse 12, a threefold cord is not easily broken. You know, if you were to take a string, you were to attach a weight to the bottom of it, and you continue to attach more and more weight to the bottom of that string, eventually the string's going to do what? It's going to give way, it's going to snap, it's going to break. Well, if you take two strings and you take that same weight and you put it underneath the the power of that weight, the two strings, it's going to hold up. But if you continue adding weight, more weight, more weight, eventually that two strings are going to snap as well. Take a third string and you add it to the two and you add more weight, more weight. It'll be able to hold that weight, but eventually the three will snap. Now, if you take those same three strings with the same weight that would have caused the three to break and you weave the three together, right? You like interweave the three strands together. You can put that same weight that caused all three strings to snap. You put that same weight on it and it'll hold. It's because when they're woven together, the three strings are much stronger than when they're just um, separate and apart. So basically Solomon is creating an analogy here that demonstrates why it is good to have friendships. You are stronger together. In other words, two is better than one. Three is better than than two, and so on. Now, all of what we've talked about here together uh, uh, so far is that Solomon is making his case for why we should have friendships. It kind of boils down to that one statement. Two are better than one. Do you believe it? That's the Bible talking to you. That's the Scripture. That's God's view of things, of human relationships. Two are better than one. Three is better than two, four, and so on. What difference does this make to your life and to mine? Well, as we enter into a new year, I want to challenge us, number one, that if we're not connected, to get connected, to do life intentionally with others. Certainly that can happen here. We've got numerous ways for you to connect up here. We've got Sunday school that meets every Sunday morning. A lot of folks, you know, they gather around tables, they're able to check in every week, see what's going on in one another's lives. Text messages like I just broke my hip today go out to those kinds of friends. And you get to check in with people, and people know what's going on in your life. And so Sunday School is a great avenue for connecting with people. We've got um, classes available for all ages. Uh, we've got Wednesday night small groups that meet, men's and women's Bible study groups. We've got home groups that meet. Some of them meet once a month. Some of them meet every couple of weeks. Some of them meet every week. Again, places where people are doing life together. Um, we've got breakfast groups. Y'all hear about me talking about that. If you like Strickland, come out. Thursday mornings, love to see you there. Um, A lot of empty calories and good Bible study. 
But those are just some of what's available. But finding community, it doesn't have to be here. I mean, through something that our church sponsors. I mean, there's a ladies' community Bible study that meets in Athens. There's a lot of ladies, well over 100, I believe, at least, that come together and do Bible study together and doing life together. Uh, you can start your own Sunday school class. We've got some available rooms. We can make that happen for you. You can start your own breakfast group if you like. Uh, but just coming together with intention with other believers and doing life together. We, don't want to, we want to make sure that we're not just hearing the truth, two are better than one. I want to make sure that we're not just agreeing with the truth, two are better than one. I want to make sure that we are acting on and living the truth, two are better than one. Make that a goal for 2024. Um, speaking to this topic of Christian community, Chuck Swindoll writes, and I quote, Difficulties don't attract friends but true friends remain through difficulties. Make sure you're connected. Make sure you're cultivating true friends. Number two, this is my only other point today. Number two, what difference does this make to your life and to mine? Number two is to make sure that we are visiting the elderly. You say, wow, you got that out of that text? Yeah. You know, some of the most lonely people in our society are the elderly. It is for this reason that every Sunday, one of our deacons or one of our elders goes out and goes to the home of some of the folks that connect here at Hebron but aren't able to come here physically on Sundays, and they take communion to them, and they walk into their home, and they sit in their home, or they meet with them in the nursing home, and they just spend some time with them, checking in, seeing how they're doing, sharing that time of communion with them, encouraging that person, giving some basic human interaction and connection to our church family praying with them. Those are some wonderful times that our deacons and elders and myself get to spend. It wasn't just a couple of weeks ago. I got to go visit with one of our, uh, our church members who's a resident in one of the local nursing homes and just spend an hour just sitting there chatting with her. Um, and I, I don't know how this works, but I walked away blessed. <laughs> I walked away, I think, more encouraged than she was. But nevertheless, it's just, that's what happens when brothers and sisters in Christ come together. Let me ask you, is there someone in your life who could use a visit? Remember, one is the loneliest number. There's a country song by Tim McGraw. Again, I'm not going to sing it. It's called Humble and Kind. Love that song. The song talks about remembering where you've come from and when success is achieved, not forgetting your roots, make sure you stay humble and kind, he says. One of the lines from that song, one of his recommendations for staying humble and kind, is to visit Grandpa every chance that you can. He says, it won't be wasted time. Always stay humble and kind. Paul, speaking to young Timothy on this subject, says, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So let me challenge you in the coming year to make this year a year where you pursue meaningful relationships with other believers, get connected, become visible in the eyes of a Christian community. And second, number two, in the coming year, let's make it a point of finding lonely people around us. Perhaps that's visiting grandma, visiting grandpa, and spending time with them. Let's pray. Most gracious God, thank you for this truth. Two are better than one. Help us to 
live that out in tangible ways. You've set some things in front of us. Lord, there's other things that have popped into our minds. We take that as the leading of your Holy Spirit today. May we follow those and be obedient in those things. May the coming year be a year that is full. A coming year that is full of ministry, that is full of uh, encouragement, mutual encouragement, mutual support. Lord, fill our lives with the stuff that really matters. When we follow you, when we pursue you, that's the end result. God, we give you ourselves, we give you the year ahead. We ask that you would use us in it. Take these hands, take these feet, and use them for your glory. Lord, as we come around this table, we're reminded of, Lord Jesus, your broken body and of your shed blood. We are thankful for the sacrifice that you have made. And Lord, we just again reaffirm our love for you. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.